We're going to look at Jonah chapter 1 in our series on Jesus is better. I've entitled this message, Jesus the Better Missionary. Jesus the Better Missionary. In Jonah chapter 1, we're going to read the entire chapter, so follow along if you would please as, as I read out loud. Jonah 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind in the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried, every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship that he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came and said unto him, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, every one to his fellow, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said unto him, then they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou, and what is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I'm, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were these men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou... O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had, appeared, had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here this morning. I do pray that you would use this time that we have around your word. I pray that you would fill me with your grace and your mercy. I pray that your Holy Spirit power would be upon me. And Father, I pray that you would give me the strength that I need to be able to minister your word emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. You know my physical makeup, my mental and emotional makeup, and my spiritual makeup. God, you've created me a certain way, and so therefore I need your strength and your power to overcome the limitations of my physical abilities, my mental abilities, my emotional and spiritual abilities, those limitations that I have, and I pray that you would empower me. 
I pray that I'd be free from sin as I prayed already this morning that I would be close to you and that your Holy Spirit will work in and through me. And now, Father, I pray for these, your people. I pray that as I pray this morning that if there's some here that do not know you, that they would come to a saving knowledge of you. I pray for the Christians to be challenged, encouraged, convicted, comforted, and changed. I pray that there would be a spirit of love and joy amongst your people. And I pray that we would have a bond of unity which, found, which is found in the fellowship of the gospel. Always striving together for the faith of the gospel, we pray. And Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this portion of scripture, this book of Jonah that you've given to us. Be able to point us to Jesus to show that Jesus is the better missionary. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever come across somebody who received something, but they did nothing to deserve it? Matter of fact, they did everything not to deserve it. I mean, there, you see that and you almost question in your mind, where is justice? You know, why did they receive that? And you think, you think to yourself, you wouldn't say it out loud, but sometimes you do think to yourself, in your humanity, now let's just get real, we're, we're human and we have these thoughts and we're like, I'm doing all these right things and it seems like I'm getting what they should be getting and they're getting what I should be getting. It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like there's justice. But we have to remember that God is a God of justice and God will give us exactly what we need when we need it. But do you realize we have all received something that we don't deserve? We've all received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've accepted it. I mean, it's there, available for you. You can take it. It's a free gift. I mean, it is a free gift. You don't have to pay for it. It's already been paid. It's just waiting for you. You know, if we hold on to the fact that we, um, we've received something that we don't deserve. And if we really understand the grace of God and we remember that we don't deserve the grace of God, that the Bible tells us in Colossians that he is the one, he is the father that has included us in the inheritance of the saints in light, that he's the one that's done that, that it's by grace that we're saved. It's nothing that we've done. You know, if we remember that we are as undeserving as anyone else upon the face of the earth, we won't hate ISIS, we'll pray for their salvation. Oh, I'm not saying we shouldn't defend our country. Not at all. But we won't hate the government of Assyria. We will pray for their salvation. I'm not saying that what the, the, the government of Syria has done is not an atrocity or what supposedly they've done. And I'm not here to get political. I'm just here to show us how sometimes don't we think, well, you know, they don't deserve it, but we deserve it. Look how awful those people are and look how good we are and look how terrible uh, those people are and how undeserving and how cruel those people are and how mean those people are and deserving we are. I mean... 
When you start thinking about the grace of God and you realize that, guess what? You don't deserve the grace of God. Listen, listen, church. You do not deserve the grace of God any more than Osama bin Laden deserves the grace of God. You don't deserve the grace of God any more than a Hitler or a Stalin or you name any horrific person that you could think of in humanity. When humanity looks at them, they say, they're just a disgusting person. Why would God even allow something like that to be born? Guess what? They deserve the grace of God just as much as we deserve the grace of God. You don't deserve the grace of God because you're more educated than somebody else. You don't deserve the grace of God because you're an American. You don't deserve the grace of God because you're white or because you're black or because you're Hispanic. You don't deserve the grace of God. Listen, let me tell you something flat out. None of us deserves the grace of God. And when we start to look at life that way, we will start to see people as Jesus sees them and will understand why Jesus is the better missionary. Amen. Jesus is a better missionary than Jonah. You want to know why? Because he's the one that took the storm for every sinner. And in this chapter, we see how God takes the unwillingness, the absolute unwillingness of Jonah to reveal how he is willing to save those who don't, quote unquote, deserve salvation. I want us to take a look here first. Number one, God gives a call. Verses one through three. God gives a call. The Bible says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now flip back to 2 Kings chapter 14. Because most of the time we think that this is the only time that Jonah is ever mentioned in Scripture. But Jonah is mentioned in Scripture in 2 Kings. And we see, if you're taking uh, notes, we see letter A, a popular prophet. A popular prophet. In 2 Kings, take a look at chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23. 2 Kings 14, 23. We see here that Jonah is a very popular prophet. Verse 23, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 40 and one years, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel a sin. He restored the coast of Israel from, from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of a servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter, for there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. And the Lord, the Lord said not that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now, what we see here is we see the home missionary. He was a very popular prophet. You say, well, pastor, why was he a very popular prophet? The reason being is because of what he prophesied. 
The book of Jonah is taken up with his foreign mission endeavors. But this portion of scripture right here has to do with the, 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 the home mission. And Jonah was a prophet during the long successful reign of Jeroboam II, who was the king of Israel, which was the northern kingdom. See, the kingdom had split in two. God never attended for that, but the king split, kingdom split in two with the end of the reign of Solomon. So you had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. So sometimes when we say Israel, if you don't understand, we're thinking of the whole thing. But the kingdom was split in two, and the northern kingdom where Jeroboam reigned, that's where Jonah was prophesying. At this particular time, the nation of Israel, they weren't doing what was right. They were caught up in immorality. It was rampant in Israel at this time. They were caught up in idolatry. They were not worshiping the true God. They were, they were doing everything but worshiping the true God. I was reading in Judges again and, uh, this morning uh, for my devotional time, and I came across Gideon, and that's what I was reading. I was reading Judges 8 in part of my devotions. I was reading about Gideon and how um, uh, the nation had turned from uh, God, and then he raised up Judges. If you read the book of Judges, this is the way it goes. Joshua dies, okay? Then... The nation goes in decline. A judge comes. They come back for the most part. The, nation, the judge dies. The nation goes in decline. Another judge comes. They come back to God. It's just over and over and over and over again. And what we see is that the nation of Israel, at this point, they were not serving the one true God. In Judges chapter 8, they were serving Balaam. They had groves and they were worshiping the Balaam. They were doing all the things that God's people should not be doing. It would be like if you walked into this church this morning and instead of worshiping Jesus Christ, I had, a, I had an idol set up here and uh, uh, we had, how about, we'll make this our idol. This is the idol of the speaker. And I were to say to you this morning, now, let's all worship speaker, speaker idol. This is our God. This is the God that has saved us for all of eternity. This is the God right here because there's a voice that comes out of the speaker. We're not quite sure how it all happens, but this is the God. And people would bow down. We need you to give to this speaker. We want you to give your money to this speaker. We want you to give your kids to this speaker. We want, you would say, that's nuts. But you know, when you get away from God, you may not worship that speaker, but you've got other idols in your own life. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel was doing. See, when you get away from God, you don't know what you'll end up worshiping. You know, we're very sophisticated. We're not like those Old Testament people. I mean... They're ignorant. We have, we, we've gone through the enlightenment period now. We are, we are beyond renaissance people. We are, we are moving forward. We are progressives. We've got it all together. I mean, the knowledge that we've got, we would never bow down to something silly as that. Yeah, but you bow down to your almighty dollar, don't you? You bow down to power. You bow down to prestige. You say, I don't bow down to prestige. Yeah, that's why you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know. They got a car, I got to get a car now. Oh, they got that car, we're getting a caddy. Oh, well, they got a caddy, well, I'm getting a Beamer. Oh, well, I'm getting a Land Rover. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, they wear those type of clothes. Well, hmm. 
see, we got our, we, we don't want to equate ourselves with this, but, you know, it really is true that if we're not careful, we get away from God, that we get our own idols in our own life, and we really aren't deserving of the grace of God. Hmm. See, neither was the children of Israel at this point. And Jonah comes and he prophesies, and this is the reason he was a a popular prophet. Why was he a popular prophet? Because he said, all your borders are going to be restored. And guess what? It happened. It happened. And man, his, his creds, man, they went off the chart. He had big time street cred right now. I mean, everybody loved Jonah. Jonah was the man. I mean, he prophesied that we would have this, the, our, our uh, borders back, and it happened. Guess what? They didn't deserve it. It says that God stepped in even when they were still in sin and restored their borders. Friends, aren't you so glad that when you were still in sin that God stepped in? He took the initiative when you didn't deserve grace, when I didn't deserve grace. He stepped in, and when we were cursing God, if you will, when we were away from God, that he sent his son so that we could receive that grace. See, not only did he have a home mission, but he had a foreign mission. Take a look, letter B, a particular request. Not only was he a popular prophet, but there was a particular request. I don't know where I get all this this stuff because none of this is in my notes when I preach. I, (laughs) I guess it's just from studying and, you know, one thing leads to another. Because I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through this message. But (laughs) verses 1 and 2, a particular request. This is where we get to see Jonah for who he really is. God commands Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh. And this just wasn't any request to go to any people. This was a very particular request. And it's through the book of Jonah that we get to see the very heart of God for all people. See, the people of Nineveh, they were very wicked people. Nineveh was built by a man by the name of Nimrod. You can find out about that in Genesis 10, verses 8 through 11. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian army. You say, well, uh, empire, I should say, during the reign of Sennacherib. You say, well, why are you telling us this? Why is this such a big deal? Well, because Nineveh and the Assyrians were well known for how brutally they treated their captives. They were known to take the heads of their captives and what they would do is they would take their heads and they would stack them one on top of the other and make pillars of the, uh, uh, for the entrance of the city what they have conquered with the heads of some valiant men. Not only were they known to do that, they would, they would also flay captives. Yeah, you take and you flay a fish. They would flay captives, human beings. They would open them up, peel their skin off them, and then what they would do is they would mount their skin on the walls of the city. That's barbaric. They would throw their young men of their captives and the young women, some of the teenagers and and some of the singles and stuff like that, they would pick them up and throw them into fire and just watch them burn. They would mutilate the bodies of captives and then stack their corpses in piles for all to see. Let me tell you something. These people were brutal. They were not like any other nation upon the face of the earth at that time. It's said that their their fortress and and where they were at, their surroundings and the way that they protected their city that they should have been a nation 
for years, centuries, because of the way that they had it positioned and the thickness of their walls and the height of their walls. Over 150 watchtowers and the way they were situated, it was perfect to be able to fend off anyone. And this was the, this was the people that God was sending Jonah to. It would be like sending a Jew into Nazi Germany. That's what it would be like. And see, not only that, but Jonah and the Israelites, they hated these people. They didn't just dislike these people. They hated them with a passion. And this is where we see the true colors of Jonah. See, because Nineveh, the Assyrians, they were the arch enemies of the nation of Israel. They wanted, the nation of Israel wanted to see, they would love to see nothing less than just wipe them off the face of the earth. Just get rid of the Assyrians. But what I find interesting is just like in 2 Kings when we first read, 2 Kings chapter 14 verses 23 through 27, the Israelites were not deserving of God's pity. Just like they were not deserving of God's grace, God shows that he pities the undeserving, even the people of Nineveh. Take a look at verse 3 because we see, let her see here, a profound decision. A profound decision. God tells Jonah in verse 3, take a look, but Jonah rose up unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God tells Jonah to get up and go. You know what I find interesting? Jonah doesn't even argue with God. He just directly disobeys God. Just directly disobeys. There's no argument. You want to know why he didn't want to go? He wasn't afraid of the Syrians. He wasn't afraid of the Syrians. He didn't want to go because he had a total prejudice towards those people. I mean, when I say that he hated them, he would have rather seen them die and go to hell than to go to Nineveh. You say, wait a second, how can you say that? Take a look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 1. But it, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. That means, you know what? He was hot. I mean, he was white hot, red hot, however, however hot somebody can be. He was, he was pulling his hair out. Why is that? And he prayed in the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, just kill me. I don't want to, I can't believe that you were so merciful. These people turn from their wicked ways. They're so merciful that you're willing to save this type of individual. I, that just disgusts me, God. So therefore, this is what I want you to do. Just kill me because I don't want to be around these type of people. 
It wasn't just that I particularly don't care for that person's personality. And so he made a profound decision to go in the total opposite direction of what God told him to do. You know what I see here? That's totally unlike Jesus, who always did the will of the Father. Jonah did his own will. Jesus did the will of the Father. Jonah runs from the mission. He's trying to escape the presence of the Lord. Turn to Psalm 139. I want you to see this here. This is amazing. It's amazing how distorted one's thinking can become. He's trying to run from the presence of the Lord. I believe that Jonah at that time, he had the book of Psalms to be able to read. He was a prophet. He knew the word of God. I believe that Jonah knew Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Okay, so now this prophet is running from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to go to Tarshish to get what he wants. Interesting, because that's what we do. may not be called Tarshish, but when we run from God, when we're disobedient to God, we're trying to find in something else what only God can give us when we're obedient to him. Psalm 139, O Lord... Thou hast searched me and know me. Thou knowest my down sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue. But lo, O Lord, thou hast known it. Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot obtain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from me, but the, the night shineth at the as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. If anybody should have known that you can't run from the presence of the Lord, it should have been the preacher. But see, here you go, folks. Listen to this statement. But sin warps the mind. Disobedience leads to a distorted mind. And that's why you think just because the lightning bolt from heaven hasn't come, you know, when you do something wrong, you're like, ooh, I'm good. And so then what you do is you take another step. until you find yourself somewhere you never thought you would end up being. Why? Because sin distorts the mind. How does it distort the mind? Number one, thinking that you can get away with it. Number two, thinking that every time that you sin, there's going to be a lightning bolt coming out of heaven, and so therefore, when the lightning bolt doesn't come, you think it's okay and God must be good with it. No, see, sin distorts the mind. Instead of saying that, you know what, that was God's grace, and he's given me an opportunity to turn around and do what is right, Instead, you know what we do? We just go headlong 
See, sin distorts the mind. Disobedience, disobedience leads to a distorted mind. You say, how do you know that? Romans 1. Romans 1, 21, here you go. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Listen, every time that you think that you can run from God and do your own thing instead of following God's will for your life, guess what? You have a foolish heart. Because the Bible is true, your sins will find you out. They will. And just because God hasn't sent the proverbial lightning bolt from heaven doesn't mean that God's not keeping account. Oh, yes, he is. The Bible tells us that at a certain point, the wrath of God gets filled up. But before it gets filled up, that's called grace. And instead of him having to pour out all his wrath upon us or uh, his chastisement and discipline upon us, sometimes he's just tapping us on the shoulder saying, Hey, come on. Come on. You know, we classify it this way, the, the, the white angel and the red angel, you know, or the devil, I guess. The, you know, you see that in commercials and stuff like that. This one's talking in this year and this one's talking in this year. Well, that's all fairy tale stuff. But listen, if you know Christ, your personal Savior, there is a prompting in your heart when you are doing something wrong, and that's God's grace in your life so you don't go headlong into sin just like Jonah. The Bible says that they were professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. See, Jonah's trying to run to Tarshish to get something that only God can give him. And he's running from the presence of the Lord. Psalm 16, verse 1, the Bible says, verse 11, the Bible says this, that will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, you're not going, if you, if you follow the life of Jonah and you go the way of Tarshish, you're not going to be able to get the pleasures and joy that you want. It's only in the presence of God that you receive joy and pleasure. The Bible tells us that. And Jonah was looking for Tarshish to be his place of pleasure and joy when Tarshish can't bring it. Jonah made the decision to run from the Lord. He didn't want to give the... He, listen, you know, what he didn't want to, you know what he didn't want to say? We'll put it in New Testament terms here. He didn't want to go up to somebody and say, hey, friend, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. He died for your souls, your soul. And you can have an eternal relationship with him. Your sins can be forgiven today, immediately. In John chapter 3, verse 16, and he didn't want to do that. He did not want to share about a gracious God to a people that he felt were undeserving. Wow. Verse 4, take a look there. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What I find interesting about Jonah is that Jonah did not mind a prophecy of destruction and judgment. But he could not handle the forty days. Why, the 40, why couldn't he handle that? That meant that there might be a possibility that God would persuade, be persuaded not to send judgment upon the people, and they would be spared. And this was Jonah's biggest fear. 
he would have found no greater joy than to see these people dead. Jesus is better than Jonah. Jesus is the better missionary because Jesus did the will of the Father. But number two, secondly, we see that God sends a calamity. Number two, God sends a calamity. Verse 4, the Bible says, But the Lord sent out a great wind of Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried, Every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone, in, was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came unto him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that thy God will think upon us that we perish not. God sends a calamity. Why? Letter A. Because he's after his servant. God is after his servant. Since God is the same all the time, the Bible tells us that, does it not? The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So since God is the same all the time, I think that I'm safe to say that at first, God's voice in the conscience of Jonah may have been like, a, as I mentioned before, a gentle tap on the shoulder. But with each step that Jonah took towards Joppa and then getting on the boat, the heart of Jonah becomes harder and harder. And because the gentle tap was ignored, the violent storm now comes. See, God's after his servant. He's chasing him down. And God will get his servant what he's called the servant to do. I wonder if we're not like Jonah sometimes. How often do we ignore the Lord's promptings? You know, go share the gospel with somebody. You need the help in that, that offering. You need to go serve in that ministry. You need to do something for your neighbor. I wonder how often that we're like Jonah, we ignore the Lord's promptings. How often do we shut out the voice of God in our conscience in order that we can get our own way? It's amazing how we try and justify things. You say, what are you talking about? How people will justify things that are totally contrary to Scripture, and they will twist Scripture to be able to make it fit what they want to do. And most of the time, sad to say, I shouldn't say this, many times, sad to say, Christians don't really want to hear what the Bible has to say when they come see the pastor. They just want the pastor to confirm what they've already made the decision on. They, 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 don't, they don't want to hear, no, you're living together and you're not, you don't have the benefit of marriage. You need to either get married right now or you need to separate. Well, we can't afford that. I'll just tell you what the Bible has to say and then you've got to make your decision. Just a simple example. You say, why do you say that? Because this, this living together before we get married, folks, it is, it is skyrocketing. You say, well, it's been skyrocketing. No, it's skyrocketing in Christian circles. I better get back to Jonah. 
But how often do we shut out the voice of God in our conscience? How often do we have to be shook by God before he gets our attention in order for us to do what he desires? See, Jonah didn't want to listen to the the little tap. Jonah didn't want to listen to the small voice in his ear. Jonah says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He knew that God had told him to do something. Instead, he just went this way. He's after his servant, but let her be. God uses a storm. Have you ever noticed in Scripture how God uses a storm? He uses a storm to expose the lack of faith in his disciples. You can go in the New Testament, you can see that. You know what, though? I'm not beating up disciples because he does that to us, too. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. For the past two and a half years, I've been going through a storm, and many of you know about it. Man, if God, God's exposed my lack of faith over and over and over and over again. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you have lack of faith. Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm just like you. There are times when, man, my faith is weak, and, and Satan is just pummeling me, and I'm having to hold up the, the, uh, the shield of faith, and I'm quoting Scripture, and I'm putting on the helmet of salvation, and I have my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, and, and man, I'm trying to hold on to the sword of the Spirit, and I'm just calling out to God. Why? Because my faith sometimes, it is just under attack, and I'm thinking, oh, man, Lord, just help me to hold on. Whatever you do, you may take a lot of things from me, but whatever you do, let me not lose my faith. Man, because sometimes when you go through the storm, when we get on the disciples in the boat, oh, they were so scared. Let me tell you something. If we were in that boat on that, on that sea going crazy like that, we would have been scared too. We would have been scared. We said, oh, it's a spirit. We would, have been, we would have been pulling our hair out. I would have just been rubbing my head. But you would have been pulling your hair out because we would have been just as scared. And sometimes we get on these Bible people. Oh, I can't believe that they, they had a lack of faith. Well, Last time I checked, John the Baptist, the, the greatest outside of Jesus Christ, he had a lack of faith. He said, is this the one or should we look for another? I'm not saying that it's okay to have a lack of faith, but what I'm saying is sometimes God sends a storm to show us where the lack of faith is. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you I haven't arrived, and I'm not through this yet, but let me tell you something. God God is doing his work slow, very slow, but very sure, and he's strengthening my faith all along the way. You say, why is it taking you so long, Pastor? Because I've got a thick head. I'm just like you. We're slow to believe. We're slow to believe. But God uses the storm. Remember when he used the storm to test Peter's faith? Come on out. And everything was fine until Peter started looking at the storm. Not only does God use the storm, but he calms the storm. But I want you to understand, listen now, that the same God who calms the storm is the same God who sends the storm. God sent a mighty tempest, a mighty storm here to be able to get the attention of Jonah. The sad reality is that Jonah, he was so hard-hearted. He had so much hatred for the people of Nineveh. He was so consumed with national pride, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, but he was, this type was wrong. He was consumed with hatred for another human being, for another ethnicity, and he hated them so much, and his heart was so hard. Take a look at verse 5. Last sentence. 
But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. Jonah was sound asleep during this storm. The captain awoke Jonah and wanted Jonah to do or say something to calm the wrath of God. But Jonah did not do or say anything. This is where we see the grace of God right here. The Lord takes the initiative, and he steps in with strength and purpose. Listen, man can do nothing. You can do nothing. You and I, we can do nothing to calm the wrath of God against the storm of sin. These, were, these men were thinking about the media in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 6. They just didn't want to die right then and there. And God was also concerned with the immediate, but God also had his eye on the eternal, the eternal perishing. These men in verse 6, they were concerned, hey, we're going to die, and you need to do something now, Jonah. Jonah doesn't really even say anything, and God's got to step in. And you know where he steps in? In John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, did you hear that, friend? Whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, man can't fight the storm of God's wrath when it comes to sin. One preacher said this, and I'll close, when it comes to Jonah and Jesus. We have a resource that can enable us, that can, can enable us to stay calm during the storms that rage outside. He says, here's a clue. Speaking of the gospel of Mark, Mark has deliberately laid out this account using the language that is parallel, almost identical to the language of the famous Old Testament account of Jonah. Both Jesus and Jonah were in the boat, and both boats were overtaken by a storm. The descriptions of the storm are almost identical. Both Jesus and Jonah were asleep. In both stories, the sailor woke up the sleeper and said, we're going to die. And in both cases, there was a miraculous divine intervention and the sea was calmed. Further, in both stories, the sailors became even more terrified than they were before the storm when it was calmed. Two almost identical stories except for one difference. In the midst of the storm, Jonah said to the sailors, in effect, there's only one thing to do. If I perish, you survive. If I die, you live. And they threw him into the sea. Which doesn't happen in Mark's story. Or does it? I think Mark is showing that the stories aren't actually different when you stand back a bit and look at it with the rest of the story of Jesus in, in view. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, one greater than Jonah is here. And he's referring to himself. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I am the true Jonah. He meant that. You know what he's saying? He's saying, one day I'm going to calm all storms. I'm going to still all waves. I'm going to destroy all destructions. I'm going to break all brokenness. I am going to kill death. But how can he do that? He can only do it because when he was on the cross, he was thrown willingly, like Jonah, into the ultimate storm, under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, 
of what we owe for our wrongdoing. The storm wasn't calmed, not until it swept him away. If the sight of Jesus bowing his head into that ultimate storm is born is burned into the core of our being, you will never be able to say, God, you don't care. And if you know that he did not abandon you in that ultimate storm, what makes you think, what makes me think that he would abandon us in much smaller storms that we experience in our everyday lives? And guess what? One day, Jesus is going to return. I said, he is going to return. Acts 1, this same Jesus, not an angel, not a host of angels, but one day, Jesus Christ is going to break through the eastern sky, and he is going to calm all storms for all eternity. So let that penetrate into the center and the core of your being, and you will know that he loves you. You will know that he cares, and then you will have the power to handle any storm that life can throw at you. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of woe shall not overflow, for I will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. And folks, you're either going to look to Jesus, the better missionary or, uh, than Jonah, or you're going to be a Jonah. You say, what do you mean? See, every day, we are influencing people towards one of two directions. You say, what do you mean? We are either influencing people towards faith in Jesus Christ and eternal hope and glory, or we are influencing people towards rejection of Christ and eternal judgment. Guess what? Jonah, he never shared the gospel up to this point with those sailors. <sighs> what a poor preacher. What a poor prophet of God. He was influencing those men to eternal damnation. My question for you is, who'd you influence this week and in what direction did you influence them? Either faith in Jesus Christ and eternal hope and glory or total rejection of Jesus Christ and eternal damnation. My friend, Jesus is the better Jonah because he does the will of the Father and because he takes the storm for every sinner.